Cool. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? How's everybody's Christmas and New Year? Kind of a packed week. Good? Yeah, I, uh, I realize I'm getting a lot older. Um, New Year's, there are a lot fewer, like, partying pics on my Facebook news feed, you know, and there are a lot more, like, New Year's resolutions and old stuff now. I'm, all my friends are getting old with me. Uh, anybody here doing New Year's resolutions? Got them all Got them all ready. Anyone want to shout out some? What are some resolutions? What was it? Lose weight, hit the gym. Yep. January's a great time to hit the gym because nobody's there, so that'll be great. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, uh, I'm setting a lot of New Year's resolutions with my wife, I heard you, Beth, and uh, they're all surrounding this idea of eating better. I'm finally to this age where I have to watch what I eat, which is a huge bummer. You know, it only takes a couple, like, dad bod jokes down to the volleyball courts where I'm like, all right, I got to get some things in order. And so those are my resolutions now. So I'm looking into it, um, reading things about health and various things. Apparently, aspartame is bad. So no more Diet Coke for me. From now on, it's just regular Coke, right? That's it. Call me a health nut, if you will, but better safe than sorry, right? Regular Coke all the way. Uh, yeah, resolutions is, is something that I, I do kind of every year and look at. Um, if you're anything like me, the resolutions, eh, maybe not this next year. This will be the year that everything goes great. But in the past, things typically look this way. That January is, uh, it's all good because you're pumped up, you're motivated, you pass go, collect $200, and then February gets a little bit rougher, right? And then you kind of do a recommit in March, you know what I mean? April, you got some rough weeks, and you're like, oh, should I keep going? Is it even worth it? And then you hit May, and you're like, I've missed so many weeks. This is so dumb. And then you're just counting down the months till next January to see if you can make it the next year, right? That's pretty much how it goes. Um, I want to go to that place mentally, hypothetically, as uncomfortable as it may be, um, that time when it hits May, when it hits that time when kind of You've fallen through on your resolutions, things have screwed up, and uh, you failed, right? You, it didn't look the way that you thought it was going to, and however that plays out, um, for some of us, it looks like, oh, we said we're going to go to the gym, and we haven't been in three weeks, or said we're going to eat better, and we're back in the same patterns, um, some people, 2015 was a pretty rough year, and there have been lifestyle patterns that you just swore you'd never get back into, right? And every single year, you find yourself at that place where you've fallen back into anger, or you've fallen back into you know, workaholism, or laziness, or partying, or whatever it is. And in that moment, when, when you have failed, when things have fallen through, it's important to know what your mentality is. What is your thought process in that moment when you failed? The reason it's important is because in that moment when you failed, it speaks a lot to the motives that you had when you were making your resolutions in the first place. Right? When you have failed, it highlights, it makes very clear why we set these goals, why we set these resolutions. 
And if we're looking to a new year, to 2016, it's important for us to get a handle on the motives behind our resolutions. Not just the actions, the motives behind the actions, behind the resolutions. Because actions, the actual tangible action, it doesn't always determine our direction. Right? You can have an action, two people do the same thing with completely different motives, completely different life's direction, and though the action looks the same, you have people doing and thinking completely different things. Right? Let's look at uh, like running on a treadmill, for example. Running on a treadmill can be a very good, very beneficial thing. It could also be really stupid, depending on your goal. If your goal is to be healthy, and to have an active life, and to play with your kids and with your family longer, then running on a treadmill is a very, very good thing. If your goal is to get somewhere, treadmills are stupid. Like, right, they don't make any sense at all. It's dumb. And it's funny, and you think to yourself, ah, nobody would ever run on a treadmill trying to get somewhere, but I know a lot of people who run on treadmills trying to get somewhere. I know a lot of people that go to the gym every single day expecting to arrive somewhere, expecting to achieve something, expecting to get something that is elusive. They can't get there. I think that a lot of us, metaphorically, in some area of our life are running on a treadmill trying to get somewhere, trying to achieve something. That's why I think this is a very important message. Now, January 3rd, we're three days into this new year, and this is an important message because God creates new beginnings. God loves new beginnings. God has designed new beginnings. He designs rhythm. He made days and weeks and years and seasons, and he uses new beginnings in our life all the time. He uses the excitement of new beginnings and the momentum of new beginnings. And a lot of us, 2016 is exciting because we look at a new year and maybe for the first time in a long time, we have a glimmer of hope. Just like a little, never been there before, but a spark of hope. Something can be better. The new year can be better. My life can be better. I say the word hope, it's probably one of the most overused words in the English language. So let's get a working definition of that word hope. Probably my favorite definition that I've ever heard of that word hope is this. Hope is the joyful anticipation of good. The joyful anticipation of good. So my question for you is in this new year, what are you putting your hope in? What do you put your hope in? Is it yourself? Is it you achieving those resolutions? Because if we put our hope in ourselves, it's very, very difficult to ever determine when we've arrived, when we're there. I can make the best decisions I can that day, but hope in myself being good, maybe you guys have got it figured out more than I. Maybe you're a lot better than I, but I know myself, and I know I'm not good, right? I know my track record. My hope can't be in something as inconsistent as myself. My hope has to be in something that is perfectly consistent. So today, we're going to look at 
two components that are going to make this operating system for 2016. My hope is that we have this very baseline, this fundamental operating system that we live from, right? Not to achieve, that we, that we live from, and when things crumble and fall apart in our lives, these are the truths that we fall back on in 2016, that we remember these to be true. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. Now, we've got a few characters in this story. Uh, the main focus is going to be on the father. The father here is portrayed as a very good, a very loving father. He has two sons, and he deeply, deeply, genuinely loves his sons. So here we go, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your, property, of your property that is coming to me. So essentially, the son is asking for his inheritance, right? Translation is, Dad, you're pretty much dead to me. Like, give me what's coming when you die. I want no more of this family. I'm out. And it's heartbreaking, even more heartbreaking, when you recognize how deeply this father loves the son. And actually, the dad does it. He keeps going, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That phrase, reckless living, the word that's used in Greek is corona, by the way. <laughs> Insert your own joke there. <clears throat> and when he had spent everything, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, which would have been the lowest job he could possibly have. And the son is so starving. It says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but nobody gave him anything. And this life that he had hoped for all of a sudden ends in this desperation when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish, I die here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I'm betting in a room this size that this story, the younger son's story, maybe describes some of our 2015, right? Whether it's through personal choices, whether it's through outside circumstances, that you found yourself in just absolute desperation, right? That life has kind of chewed you up, spit you out, and maybe you find yourself down paths that you swore you would never go down again. Maybe it's in that time of utter desperation that you decided to try church for the first time. And like this younger son, you were saying to yourself, I know what they're going to say when I get there. Right? I'm just preparing myself. They're going to tell me how horrible I am and that I deserve what, I, what I'm getting. But something's got to change. i got to do something. That's the mentality of this younger son. I know what's going to be said to me, but I've got to do something. I'm dying here. I've got to do something. 
So that's the thought process. Let's see what happens. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I can just imagine this young son who is just at the end of himself. And he's practicing his speech all the way home, right? Here's what I'm going to say. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And and then here's my countenance. And one of my favorite lines in this story is in verse 20. It says, while he was still a long way off. Man, don't you know that we are all a long way off? Some of us have been practicing that speech that we would give the church when we finally step back in. What are we going to say? Some of us have been practicing the speech that we're going to give God when we finally give it another chance. And instead, while we're still a long way off, our Father runs and embraces us. That our Father celebrates us. Not because we're perfect, just because we took some steps towards home. Let's look at the older son in the story, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, the servant, said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. For some of us, even though it's hard to admit, This is more our mentality in life in this past year. Our mentality is, this has been a year of keeping my resolutions. I've worked my butt off. I I have fought tooth and nail to be as good as I possibly can be. To be as perfect as I can inside of my control. Right? When everybody else was out partying, I had the discipline to stick to my convictions, and now these people who had a year of fun are just going to kind of cut in line and enjoy the feast? No way. You can't just waltz in and get these blessings that I've been working for. This has been a hellish year of me trying to earn this. You're not just going to sweep in and get it. Here's what the father says. And he said to him, son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Some of us are trying so hard that we just miss God, right? says, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. 
Matthew 6.33 says that same concept this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, right? Like, who cares? Yeah, fat and calf, you wanted a party, that's great. That's not the treasure in the story. The treasure that you missed in the story is relationship with me, is intimacy with me. The treasure is the kingdom of God, is knowing me, of walking through life with me, is being embraced and loved by me. That's the treasure in the story, not a fattened calf, not a party, not these other things. Fine, they'll be given unto you. All that's mine is yours. This is the treasure. Caleb talks a lot about the polarity of rebellious and religious. And I love the way that he says it. He says that if we go for too, too long without intention, if we don't evaluate our motives, that we all have the tendency to gravitate towards one of these things, either rebelliousness or religion, right? For rebellious, the, the lack of identity, the lack of knowing who we are, a lot of times it results in us wanting to experience life to the full. And over here in the rebellious, you want the next biggest thing, and so you do the next biggest thing that life has to offer, trying to, trying to get something, trying to get that feeling. Over here in religious, your pride or your insecurity manifests into judgment, right? And you start to see the world as those people. Your belonging, your identity is derived from routine, and you use that to lord it over other people. And the problem is, is that all the people over here and rebellious, they feel every ounce of that judgment from the religious group. And they say, buddy, if that's the end goal, I'm not taking a step towards the middle, right? And then the religious over here is saying, well, if you give me any freedom, I'm going to end up like those heathens over there. And it's just a total nightmare. And in the middle, you have God, you have the Father saying, quit looking at the other side, Quit looking at imperfect people because here in the middle is your father and I'm beckoning both groups to myself to be loved. So our first realization today for our operating system is that our father is continually beckoning us to him. He is calling to us. He sees you far off and he's running towards you. Now, when I say things like that, a lot of times, you know, this be embraced by God, cherish his love, then it can kind of sound like, all right, well, then our New Year's resolution's pointless, right? Is that, is that just dumb to do? Like, do I ever strive for anything in life? And yes, of course you do. However, it's very important to know the motive behind striving, We don't strive to achieve something. We strive from the middle, from a truth, from having arrived at what God declares to be true about us. And when we finally have the idea, the truth of what God says to be true about us, we no longer have to achieve it, we no longer have to avoid it, then striving makes a lot more sense. Um, Romans 6 Verse 6 says this. This is the message translation. 
Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. Now, sin is a word that essentially means our rebellion towards God. Sin is just talking about our inward independence towards God. Here is God and his love and his design for us, and instead we, self-focused, have gone the other way. That's what sin is. What we believe is this, get this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. Is that Jesus came to earth and he died for us. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. That's called the resurrection. And when he rose from the dead, he, he defeated death. He defeated sin. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Amen. When Jesus, whose birth we celebrated just a few weeks ago, came to earth, so that he came knowing he was going to die. He came conquering the power of sin. And I think that 2016 is, can be a year where sin is powerless in our lives. When I say that we've been freed from the power of sin, that's kind of a churchy phrase. You can get lost in it a little bit. But what it means when it say we've been freed from the power of sin, it means that we no longer carry the judgment for our sin. Our rebellion, our independence no longer defines us. We are no longer judged from that side, from those paths that we've gone down. That's no longer who we are, who God declares us uh, to be. Here's what this looks like, this idea of freed from the power of sin. Here's a story of how that would look played out in life. Um, one of my buddies came to me and was telling me a story about his dad and actually his dad in the last years of his life. And uh, sure enough, his father had been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness and the hospital said, yes, um, it is taking over your body and you are going to die. And the main cause for this terminal illness was smoking cigarettes. Uh, so he gets out of the hospital, and the years following, uh, everybody just expected the, him to quit smoking, right? Like, obviously, you're going to stop smoking, and he didn't. And everybody's like, why aren't you quitting the thing that is leading you to death? Why aren't you quitting the thing that gave you this terminal diagnosis? And my question is, why would he, right? Why would he? He's already been given a death sentence. He's already been given a time. What, what's the, what are you going to buy with that? Like maybe a few hours, maybe a few days. What's the point? He's already gone. A lot of us have that same mentality. This idea of striving towards the life that God wants you to live. Right? Living this new life. 
we look at it and we say, what's the point? What's the point? I'm so far gone. It's three days into the new year, and I'm already back on the same paths as 2015. I'm done. What's the point? That's the beauty of this verse, is that Jesus, when he came to earth, when he died for us, he lifted the death penalty. And now our perspective is completely different. Our life looks completely different. It would be as if, let's say my friend went to his dad and said, Dad, it's been taken care of. I've got it all figured out. Okay, it's all already set. And this hospital is going to take my lungs and my heart and put it into your body. Dad's like, new heart, new lungs? He goes, that's right, Dad. New heart, new lungs. And in that moment, everything changes. In that moment, the death sentence has been lifted. That moment, you have a new lease, a new perspective on life. Everything is different now. Everything is opportunity. Now that the dad's motivation to live, he has two motivations to live. One is he's been given a new perspective, a new lease on life. He was no longer dying. Now he has the opportunity to live this life that he wanted. Why on earth would he go back to the thing that took him to death in the first place? The second motivation is love. That he is living because his son gave his life for him. For us in 2016, God has plans. God has a life. And we are no longer striving towards that life, trying to achieve something. Instead of putting our hope in ourselves, we are putting our hope, the joyful anticipation of good in our good Father. We're putting our hope in the grace of Jesus Christ. When we make resolutions, when we strive in life, from a place of having already arrived, God is able to do abundantly more than we thought possible. Let's pray. Lord, I know that we are all over the map in here. Everybody in here is in a different life stage, but I know that we all have areas of our life that we are running away from you in. Would this be the day? Would this be the year that we can finally take a step towards home? When we can see you, when we're on the horizon and you are running towards us with your arms open, beckoning us home, ready to embrace us, ready to love us. Would this be the year that we begin to live from the middle? From the place of being declared clean, from the place of being declared right, that we put our hope and our trust in you. Amen.